Blog Talk Radio. Kingway, Fox, Beerlock is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fox is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Tita's cat, Kempak's cat, Q has had enough of that, beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are God, I love that song. Every time I hear it, it just gets me pumped and in the mood to talk about Star Trek. I don't know. It's just a great song. Anyways, we have a really great show planned for you guys uh, tonight. So much going on. But before we get into that, I want to introduce my Trek experts. We'll start off with Eric. Eric's out in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric? Oh, man, I am doing really great, you guys. I had a good day today. Uh, we got some decent, you know, typical fall weather happening here. And I rewatched this movie we're going to talk about, and I just forgot how good it was. Ah! I'm excited to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, it's fun. It's a fun one. And we also have with us Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How are you doing, Charles? I'm doing good. Got a quick little warm spell of about 80 today. Well, we've been in the 70s. Uh, and tomorrow is the day we observe the state holiday. <clears throat> tomorrow is a holiday for me. So today we got to celebrate Halloween at work. That, that's awesome. I noticed no Star Trek uniforms, though. Or were you, were you Scotty? Not by, were you <laughs> yeah, a little bit of Scotty in there. A little bit of Scotty. He was in a, he was in a kilt. So. He was in a kilt. He was Scotty. I was All I needed was a bagpipe. He would have been off <laughs> <all> that. <laughs> so, anyways, guys, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and I'm coming to you live from Rutland, Vermont. And we've got a great show planned for you guys tonight. Great Scott. We set the flux capacitor for 2009. And we're going to go all the way back to the first movie in the Kelvin universe, Star Trek 2009, The Future Begins. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. So if you're into that movie, please hang around with us and give us a call at 646-668-2433. Because remember, we are currently live. It is Thursday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here in the United States of America. And we are live. We'll be live for the next two hours. So please give us a call and join the conversation. We would love to have you. But wait, there's more. We also have in Star Trek news, Kate Mulgrew talks about playing a hologram on Star Trek Prodigy. And we also have, speaking of Prodigy, a new Star Trek aimed at a younger audience. It happened to premiere today. I watched it. I enjoyed it. I hope you guys did. And we're going to talk about it next week. So you want to stay tuned for that. And we might throw in a little bit of, of opinions on it tonight. I don't know. We'll see. But we're definitely going to break it down and talk about it in great length and detail 
next week. We also have Tashi R's secret goodbye to fans and friends on Star Trek The Next Generation. Gilligan's Island and Star Trek. Hmm, I wonder what they have in common. You'll have to hang out to find out. Also, Star Trek and Discovery and Picard wins big. Hmm, another question mark. And, of course, convention calendar and Star Trek birthday. So we have so, so much going on tonight. A lot of Trek talking. But before we do that, I just want to say, what are you guys doing for Halloween? I know what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be hanging out here along with Charles. And we have something extra special planned for you guys. This is kind of a tradition that we started with COVID last year because people couldn't go out trick-or-treating. So we had trick-or-treat here for you guys. And uh, I think uh, Leslie hung out with us uh, as well, I think. Right, Charles? Or Yeah. Was you, me, and Leslie? Uh, I, I think. You might have popped in for a little while. Yeah, Leslie. Leslie, uh, she anyway, popped in for one of the other shows. Yeah, I, I'm old and senile. I can't remember that long ago. But, uh, but I do know that we had a special spooktacular Halloween show for you guys. We're doing it again this year, only we're doing it bigger and better, like we always do here at Trek Talking. And we are going to play for you what? What are we going to play, Charles? Our favorite, a classic. <laughs> yep. Oh, we are going to we want okay. to see if we can finally see the great pumpkin. That's right. You have to pick the most sincere pumpkin patch and hang out there and Maybe he'll show up and rise out of the pumpkin patch with all kinds of toys and candy. Who knows? You'll have to hang out here on Halloween night to find out. And just to make it extra special for you guys, we are going to have our own trick-or-treat celebration here at Trek Talking. In honor of Halloween, the first fan that calls us on Halloween night between 7.30 and 9.30 will be right here live and says trick-or-treat. And again, the number is 646-662433. The first person that calls that number and says Trick or Treat will win a Star Trek Discovery Season 3 Blu-ray. And that's just in time for you to get ready for Season 4, which premieres on November 18th. So that's our Trick or Treat gift to you. We're going to sit back and enjoy the great pumpkin Charlie Brown, and you can win a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 3. And you know, just to kind of put you in the mood a little bit. For those of you who don't know about the Great Pumpkin, where have you been, man? My God. But I know there are some of you out there that, that maybe were too young or maybe just never saw it. This, uh, I have the original commercial, which aired on television. That's right, on television for the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. And just to pump you up a little bit, Sit back and enjoy this nostalgic flashback to 1966. I got an invitation to a Halloween party. What a way to spend Halloween right here with Trek Talk and yours truly and Charles. We're going to have so much fun. You can't have Halloween without the great pumpkin. I've watched it 
every Halloween since I was born, and it's not going to be any different except this year we're going to share it with all of you. Um, so, and, and I ripped the audio off my old VHS tape, so, um, oh, awesome. so I apologize for that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we're going to have some fun with that. And we're going to talk about it, and we're going to play some, uh, some traditional creepy Halloween music, and we're just going to hang out and have some fun. So please, after you get done trick-or-treating, think about hanging out with Charles and I for an hour, hour and a half on Halloween night. Listen to The Great Pumpkin. Win a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 3 on DVD and have some fun. Okay? And once again, the number is 646-668-2433. Now back to our regularly scheduled programming. Dun, 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 dun. So, <laughs> first of all, I want to say that uh, we have 45,397 downloads of our podcast as of right now. So thank you so much to everybody for downloading and listening. It, it means so much to us. Uh, you can find us over at Facebook at Trek Talking and Beyond. You can give us a like, give us a follow. Currently, we have 71,165 followers on Facebook. That's just incredible. The number seems to be go up a couple of thousand every week. So just, wow. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, we've decided to, uh, to not do around the globe numbers anymore because uh, we just get so much Star Trek to talk about. We had to shorten the show a little bit to make room for other stuff. So we're going to go back to um, adding a couple of extra names into our, our fan shout-outs. If you'd like to hear your name on a fan shout-out, just go to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond. You'll see the Live Long and Pros pinned to the top of the page. And uh, just let us know where you're listening from. And every week I pick out uh, 18 lucky listeners and if you see a heart next to your name from trek talking that means yours truly uncle jim has chosen your name and you want to listen to the next podcast because you're going to be mentioned personally so eric why don't you get us started off with our fan shout outs for this week you better believe it jim our number one fan shout out this week goes out to olorato duna who is listening to us from francistown botswana I can tell you, Olorato, you are our very first listener that we've engaged uh, from Botswana who's uh, talked to us on our Facebook page. So, wow, thank you so much for listening to us. I looked it up. Francistown is kind of in that northeast corner of Botswana next to Zimbabwe uh, down in South Africa. So uh, thank you so much for listening to us all the way from down in the area of South Africa. Thank you so much. Uh, we're also saying hello this week to Nancy von Rottenregen Scheichenhausen. I hope I didn't completely slaughter that, but should be pretty good. Valkenberg at the Ghoul in the Netherlands, uh, another listener from the Netherlands. We have had many of you so far, and it is always appreciated to have you listen. Uh, Valkenberg at the Ghoul is actually down in that southeast corner of the Netherlands, uh, inland pretty far, right next to uh, Belgium. So. Thank you, Nancy, for listening to us from the Netherlands. We're saying hello this week as well to Sebastian Jesus Villabos from Chile. Not our first listener from Chile, but uh, there must be a pretty good contingent of you down there because we've heard a few people from Chile on our podcast. So thank you so much, Sebastian, for listening to us. We're also saying hello this week to Gudrun Mueller from Starbrücken in Saarland, Germany. Uh, we get a lot of listeners from Germany. Of course, Germany is one of our top five international listeners. Uh, Saarbrücken is down in that southwest corner of Germany, and we uh, really appreciate you listening from just across the border from France. 
Uh, we're saying hello this week to Espen Salam Skarshog from Kristiansund in Norway. Uh, that guy's is about as far north as any of the, any of us has farther north than we've been. It's so far north that when you zoom out on Google, the planet starts to turn because you're that close to the North Pole. (laughs) Thank you, Espen, for listening to us from way, way up there. We really, really appreciate that up in Norway. And finally, on my list, we're saying hello this week to Senja Los from Germany uh, in the North Rhine area, Westphalia. Uh, That is, uh, you know, once again, we get a lot of listeners from Germany, and we really appreciate every single one of them. Senja listening from Westphalia. Charles. Who are you saying hello to this week? Well, let's start off with <clears throat> Ian Kloss from Southeast Australia. Top fan, Lisa Puddington from Oxford, England. She's northwest of London, man. I'd love to get to London, get to uh, the West, West End and see some shows down there. Vicky Bell Ivu from Kansas. I know I had problems with that last name. <laughs> Eric Hester Polkombi from Indianapolis, Indiana. Waving you from up north towards Larry Eagleton in Phoenix, Arizona, our neighbor in the neighbor south of us. Jonathan Jaffe from Tennessee, USA. Jim, find anybody from New York? Uh, unfortunately, well, yeah, I did actually. Uh, first, I want to say thank you to Gordon Dakin, who's in who, who's in Maynard, Massachusetts. Uh, I was just up in Massachusetts for my nephew's wedding about what, two weeks ago, I think it was, pretty close to that. So thanks for listening to Gordon. We'd also like to say thank you. To, oh, I got to make this bigger. I can't see it. There we go. To Jana Gorel Adams from Oklahoma. So Where the wind comes sweeping down the rain. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> or the plane or whatever. And, and that's, I love that's ex- that. <laughs> that's exactly the way she wrote it, in case you're wondering. Yep. <laughs> so that's the way I said it. <laughs> and uh, yes, we'd like to say thank you to Stephen Verbridge from Rochester, New York. Represent, brother. Represent. Been there many times. Well, driven through there many times. A top fan, Lisa Partington from Oxfordshire, England. Thank you for listening. Martin Van Vuren from South Africa. We appreciate the support. And last but not least, the um, good old Scotland from Glasgow, Scotland, Colin Fufar. That's where my grandmother came from. So thank you so much for listening to each and every one of you guys. We could not and would not ever think of doing the show without you. So thank you so much for listening. As I said, if you'd like to hear your name on a future fan shout out, head on over to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond, and let us know where you're listening from. Look for a heart next to your name. That means I've chosen you, and you'll be on there. And in case you haven't noticed, all of the foreign, all of the names that are hard to pronounce go to Eric. And if, on one of these days, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get one, and I'm going to trip him up. <laughs> There's been a couple. 
What one of these and uh but so far I, he, yeah, I admit to practicing ahead of time to try and get it right. I don't always get it right, but I try. <laughs> you you get it righter than I would, that's for sure. <laughs> that's probably true. So in case you're wondering, that's why that work coincidentally works out that way. All right, guys. So um each week, we like to say happy birthday to all the members of our Star Trek family. And this is one of my favorite parts of the podcast because we get to revisit Star Trek from all corners, from all the series, all the movies, all the great characters, all the great actors. And it's just something that I enjoy, you know, digging up the memories of some of these people. So um, for that, we're going to play our Klingon birthday song. That was not a Klingon song. And he says that every week, you know, and but we still we still appreciate him. So when we do our Star Trek birthdays, we always start off trying to remember those who unfortunately are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. So Eric, who's in our remembrances this week? Well, this week we have seven people uh, in our Star Trek universe who would have had birthdays. Uh, the first person we're remembering and honoring is James Daly, uh, the great actor who played Flint in TOS's episode Requiem for Methuselah. Uh, he's, of course, the the main immortal in that episode. And if his last name sounds uh, familiar, Daly, uh, he is the father of both Tim Daly and Tyne Daly. Uh, Tyne Daly, of course, from Cagney and Lacey back in the day and uh, other shows that she's been in along the, along the way, including Spider-Man Homecoming more recently. So uh, actor James Daly would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday to him. We're also saying happy birthday and giving our remembrances out to John Winston, who played the character of Mr. Kyle. Uh, that's right, Mr. Kyle on TOS. Uh, he was in a whole bunch of episodes. He was also in uh, The Wrath of Khan. He got to reprise his role later. One of the few red shirts who, uh, who stuck around for all three seasons and the movies. Uh, so <laughs> congratulations, Lieutenant Kyle. Uh, happy to have you, and what a great actor, and what a great role for him. So John Winston would have had a birthday this week. We're also saying uh, happy birthday and sending our remembrances out to Whit Bissell, who played the character Mr. Lurie in TOS's episode, The Trouble with Tribbles. Uh, he, of course, would appear uh, later on the DS9 episode as well that uh, harkened back to that episode. So uh, got to be in two episodes, even though he filmed for one. Happy birthday, Whit Bissell. Uh, we're saying happy birthday this week as well to K.L. Smith, uh, this actor played the Klingon captain in the original series' uh, Alana, uh, Elan, I always say Alana, Elan of Troyes. Uh, so uh, one of those kind of uh, old school Klingons, let's say, uh, with the fa- facial hair and, as Jim puts it, the shoe polish face. <laughs> but, uh, but great job, K.L. Smith, on uh, pioneering one of those roles uh, for us to uh, see so many people follow in your footsteps. Uh, happy birthday this week as well to Ed Reimers, who played Admiral Fitzpatrick in TOS's episode, The Trouble with Tribbles. Uh, once again, another actor from that same episode. Interesting fact about him. Uh, this is a little personal fact. Uh, he was born in Moline, Illinois, which is only a couple hours from where I grew up. So there you go. A little Illinois boy 
showing up on Star Trek back in the 60s. Ed Reamers would have had a birthday this week. We're also saying happy birthday to Steve Sander. He played the character of Lars in TOS's episode, The Gamesters of Triskelion. And uh, our final remembrance this week goes out to actress Viola Stimson. Uh, now, you may not know who she is because she has a minor role, but she has a role that is very recognizable. Um, mm-hmm. She shows up, of course, as an elderly woman uh, as part of a tour group at the Cetacean Institute in 1986 when Spock and the gang jump, uh, and uh, she's the woman who sort of points out the man swimming in the tank uh, <laughs> as people are giving the, the tours. And I believe that Jim might have a little uh, candy for our ears on this front. Yeah, I, you know, when I posted his birthday, people were giving me slack on the Facebook page because, well, are you getting that desperate? We're scraping the bottom of the barrel type of comments. But I want to say a couple of things here. Uh, Star Trek Four has a lot of memorable moments and a lot of memorable characters in Star Trek. They don't always yeah. have to be that. First of all, they don't have to have a name. And second of all, sometimes they don't even have to have a line to be memorable. Just to give you an example, everybody remembers the punk rock guy that gives Kirk and Spock the finger on the bus, and then Spock goes over and gives them the old, okay? Um, That moment is extremely memorable. Everybody knows that. But what's the name of the the character? He doesn't have one. He's just the punk on the bus. Um, So, you know, another moment from Star Trek IV that everybody remembers who – whose character does have a few lines, but not a name is the kidney lady in the hospital. When McCoy gives her the pill and she grows a new kidney. And then of course we have this lady. And, and the reason why I picked this lady is because in my mind, I think this is one of the most perfect Star Trek scenes we've seen in a movie. I think Leonard Nimoy sets up the shot perfectly. I mean, perfect. And I think that, yeah. that William Shatner's timing is impeccable in this scene. And you don't even have to know what's going on just by the way Leonard Nimoy shoots the scene and the way Captain Kirk is reacting, the look on his face. You don't, you know that Spock is up to no good. You can see it. And then, then the actress makes her, her only line in the Star Trek movie. And then the camera flips around. It's absolutely perfect. Nimoy nailed it. Shatner nailed it and Viola nailed it. And just to give you guys a little a little remembrance of that scene, here it is. And now, here's a much better way to see George and Gracie. Underwater. What you're hearing is recorded whale song. Is sung by the male. He'll sing anywhere from six to as long as 30 minutes and then start again. In the ocean, the other whales will pick up the song and pass it on. The songs change every year, and we still don't know what purpose they serve. Are they some kind of navigational signal? Could they be part of the mating ritual? Or... Is it pure communication beyond our comprehension? Frankly, we just don't know yet. Maybe he's singing to that man. (laughs) 
hell? Excuse me, wait right here. Perfect. I love it. And that right there, I just, that gets me every single time I see the movie. I love that scene, and I think it's it's just a perfect example of Star Trek at its best. So, yeah. that's why yeah. she made our birthday list. <laughs> so, happy well, birthday, yeah. Viola. Yep, great, great scene. One-liner, but very memorable. So, happy Happy birthday to everyone who we have lost throughout the years who would have had a birthday this week. And now we're on to Charles. Charles, who has a birthday uh, this week? Oh, we got we got a star for one of Jim's favorite TOS episodes. <laughs> Kelly Lathan played Luma on TOS's Fox Spring. Brain, brain, what is brain? Shut up what about brain? that one. Fox, what what is brain? <laughs> Still not it's the worst classic. episode. It's a classic. <laughs> F. Murphy Abrams played Luafo in Star Trek Insurrection. Mm-hmm. Great actor. Then we had Ensign Rivers in Enterprise, The Forgotten and the Affixed. Affliction. <clears throat> but the star kind of made his own name and showed up on a show that one of our hosts doesn't talk much about. And that, of course, the happy birthday to Seth MacFarlane. And then so that's why, that's my- why. That's why you got that birthday. I figured I'd get that one. <laughs> Is that what we I figured I'd get that birthday. He's also a captain on his own show. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, I was surprised to get this one. A happy birthday to one of our favorite doctors, a Voyager, in the appearance in Star Trek First Contract. A very happy birthday in Kapla to Robert Picardo, our yes. favorite hologram. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, guys. So um, I've got a couple of birthdays as well. We'll start off with a happy birthday to Kitty Swink, who played Rochan in DS9's episode Sanctuary. But what's so unique about her um, is that she's the wife of Armin Shimmerman. And, Eric, where was she born? Born in my now hometown, Portland, Oregon. Yes. I thought that was an interesting fact. So that's That cool. is really cool. Lots of great, great actors. There's uh, actually a pretty cool film industry here in town. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that there's somebody famous from Portland. That is interesting. But not as interesting as this next one. We'd like to say happy birthday to Bruce Mars, who played Finnegan in TOS episode Shirley, Captain Kirk's nemesis from the Academy. But where was he born? He was born in New York New City. City. <laughs> so a place where I spent my summers growing up. So happy birthday to Bruce Mars. We'd also like to say happy birthday to Karen Austin, who played Miro in Voice episode Barge of the Dead. Uh, that was Bellana Torres' mother, by the way. And she also played Dr. Calandra in the DS9 episode 
nor the battle to the strong. And just as a side note, she was married to John Candy in the movie Summer Rental, which is one of my all-time favorite uh, John Candy comedies. So happy birthday to Karen Austin. It was just interesting to see her connected to Star Trek in such an awesome way. And now we have a couple of good ones. Well, we always have good ones, but yeah. uh, we'd like to say to send out a huge happy birthday to our, va- our favorite uh, sporologist, our mushroom man, if you will, <laughs> Paul Stamets from Star Trek Discovery, played by the awesome Anthony Rapp. He has a birthday this week. Uh, and Anthony Rapp. I love up. Anthony Rapp. Uh, I just want to say I first I, knew about Anthony Rapp back in his rent days, and that is where I first fell in love with him, and I was ecstatic when they put him on Star Trek. I was like, yeah, that's where he belongs. Well, I, I wanted to – I just wanted to – I was watching an old movie, and when old, I mean like from 1986, old. It might have even been 1985. Oh. That's how old yes. it is. It's a comedy. And it has it has um, uh, uh, the girl from the Karate Kid. Oh, I can't remember her name. The blonde woman that was the Karate Kid's girlfriend in the Karate Kid. Uh, hmm. She stars in it as the babysitter. Anthony Rapp is one of the baby one of the kids that she's babysitting for. And I'm watching the movie. I'm like, that dude looks familiar. Yep. Yep. And it was Adventures in Babysitting, and Babysitting. Anthony Rapp was in it. And I was like, wow, how cool was that? So, uh, yeah, so happy birthday to Anthony Rapp. He just shows up in all these odd places. He does. He was and, amazed and confused. I mean, I could start naming off places he shows up, but he's in all kinds of cool things. Yeah, he just shows up everywhere. So happy birthday to Anthony Rapp. And I always do the Klingon, and I always do them last. And this is the mother well, maybe not the mother. Maybe the grandmother. You know, I think the mother of all Klingons, obviously, would be Michael Dorn. But this guy is right up there. This guy actually was the first Klingon that we really got to see on, on screen in Star Trek. Uh, awesome Klingon. But we know him from Taxi as Reverend Jim. We also might know him from the Adams family as Mr. Fester. Uh, we might know him as Great Scott, Doc Emmett Brown from Back to the Future. Um, I could go on and on and on. He has been in so many awesome movies. He has brought some great characters to life. He's such a talented actor. And, uh, of course, we're talking about his role in Star Trek. So we're talking about Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, and Commander Krug. And we'd like to say happy birthday to Christopher Lloyd. Kapla! And that, my friends, wraps up our birthdays for this week. We're going to take a very quick commercial break, and when we come back, we have so much more to talk about, including the convention calendar. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after we hear this awesome, awesome song. It's been a long road. Getting from there to here It's been a long time But your time is finally here You can feel the change in your thoughts right now Nothing's in your way And they're not gonna hold you down no more No, they're not gonna hold you down Cause we've got faith, that's your call 
We want to hear what you have to say. We've got faith to believe in church talking today. You've got faith in your fingers. All you got to do is how now you can reach us right now. We've got faith. We've got faith. Faith that you can And we're back, and we have a caller on the line, and the number looks familiar, so uh, let's see if I can get this thing. There we go. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talking. What's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Hi, Mayor David Whaley. I'm calling from Portland, Oregon. Hey, David. How you doing? I thought that number looked familiar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. Hey, how did- you guys doing? Hey, we're doing pretty good. Did you get a chance to watch Star Trek 2009 yet? Uh, well, I've seen it, like, back in 2009, <laughs> but... Yeah. Well, yeah, it is a real... No, no spoilers, no spoilers. <laughs> okay. We're going to be talking about that a little bit later on, so that's pretty cool. So, listen, okay, guys, cool. we're going to do our convention calendar. This is a brand-new segment that we just added, and I thought this would be a good idea to kind of get you guys involved and get you out to some local conventions so you can meet some other fans in person. Now that we're on the downswing of COVID, a lot of conventions are back in swing. So we're doing convention calendar. So I like to start off with New Mexico Comic-Con and Film Expo, October 29th through the 31st, 2021 at the Albuquerque Convention Center in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hampton Comic-Con, October 30th to 31st, 2021, in Hampton Roads Convention Center, Hampton Roads, Virginia. We have Arctic Comic-Con, October 30th to 31st of 2021, and the Denia Civic Convention Center in Anchorage, Alaska. Supernova Comic-Con and Gaming Expo, October 30th and 31st, 2021, and the Adelaide Showground in Wayville, South Australia, Australia. And finally on my list, we have Soda City Comic-Con, October 30th to 31st, 2021, at the Hampton Roads Convention Center in Hampton, Virginia. Eric, who's on your list for conventions this week? Well, we're also tracking the Akron Comic-Con, November 6th and 7th, at the Emidio and Sons Banquet Center in Cayuga Falls, Ohio. Rhode Island Comic-Con, I've been to that one, November 5th through 7th at the Dunkin' Donuts Center and Rhode Island Convention Center in Providence. We've also got the Rocky Mountain Con, November 6th and 7th, 2021 at the Embassy Suites by Hilton Denver in Stapleton, uh, or excuse me, Denver, Colorado. Uh, Empire Comic Fest, November 13th, 2021 at Lewis S. Walk JCC of Greater Rochester in Rochester, New York. And KidsCon, New England. Uh, at November, or excuse me, November 13th, Doubletree by Hilton Hotel in Portland, Maine. Charles, how about you? Charles. Did we lose Charles? Maybe we lost Oh, I got to get the Omni button. There we go. Ah. Destination Star Trek London, November 12th to 14th. At the Excel Convention Center, Royal Victoria Dock, London, England. Near one of our friends we were honoring this earlier. Super Mega Fest. <clears throat> November 19th to 21st. Uh, 
Strengthen Framingham Hotel in Framingham, Massachusetts. My favorite convention name, Super Mega Fest. It's a it's a great convention. I've been there many times. Starbase Indy, twenty twenty one, November twenty sixth to twenty eighth, Marriott East Indianapolis, Indianapolis, Indiana. Quad Con Madison, November thirteenth and fourteenth, East Town Mall, Madison, Wisconsin. And the last one that I think I'm going to end up being at is the LA Comic Con, December third through fifth. At the Los Angeles Convention Center in Los Angeles, California. Sounds like fun. Might <laughs> even squeeze in a podcast Uber per request of the Fleet Admiral. Hmm. Oh, interesting. So, guys, that's our convention calendar. Uh, so, any of these conventions, um, there's no contact information. I leave it up to you guys to look it up and find out. I would try getting in contact with the event location. Call the hotel or the convention center that we've mentioned, and they can probably hook you up with all the information on the convention. So now it's time for Star Trek news. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level nine authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. Black alert. Black alert, yo. Uh, there's one thing I wanted to say real quick. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. If you're listening live, like David is, you can give us a call and you can join us right here on the show live. Also, I've heard people ask, you know, they're waiting for us to get to the good stuff. The reason why we save um, our reviews for the end of the show rather than the beginning of the show is because of the time differences that we have across the country. So we just want to make sure that everybody has a chance to get home from work, have something to eat, and sit down and enjoy the podcast. So that's why we do our discovery and our, our reviews near the end of the show instead of at the beginning, unless we have a guest star on the podcast. When we have a guest on the show, we like to get them on early so that they can, you know, get on with their lives and not be tied up all night, okay? So that's why the show is structured the way that it is, just to get that out of the way. So all of the stories we're about to talk about, you can read in their entirety on our Facebook page at Trek Talking and Beyond. And I have the first story of the evening, Star Trek Discovery and Picard, win three Saturn Awards. The Star Trek franchise had a big night at the 46th annual Saturn Awards on Tuesday night, picking up three awards for Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard. The third season of Discovery beat out the first season of Picard for Best Science Fiction TV Series, which is awesome. And Doug Jones, who plays Saru, won for Best Supporting Actor on a Television Series, while Patrick Stewart, Jean-Luc Picard, one for Best Actor on Television. How awesome is that? Best Actors and Supporting Actors are from Star Trek. That's that awesome. so cool. That's really that cool. Is, I that mean, is well, really, really cool. Course. I mean, Doug Jones. Doug Jones about. is just incredible. And I, I think the final episode of Discovery, where he gets to act without the makeup. Yeah, that was special. You can, 
you can just yeah. see how good that Doug Jones actually is, where he can bring Saru to life through all that makeup. And even when you take off all of that makeup and he has to be Saru as himself, it's incredible. So he, he, he definitely deserves it. And so congratulations. doing a fantastic job. Let's, let's yeah, that. they're just, they're just great. Uh, the yeah. two Paramount Plus series were nominated for seven total awards this year, including Discovery's Sonequa Martin-Green for Best Actress on a Television, Picard's Jerry Ryan for Best Guest Performance on a Television Series, and Picard's Issa Briones for playing Dodge, Sozi, and Sutra for Best Performances by a Younger Actor on a Television Series. Star Trek Discovery executive producer and series showrunner Michelle Paradise, along with star and award winner Doug Jones, were on hand for the ceremonies and shared the news on social media. From Michelle Paradise's Twitter account, at Michelle Paradise, she tweeted, from the entire Star Trek Discovery family, thank you for this incredible honor. What a privilege to be able to accept this tonight on behalf of at Paramount Plus, at CBS TV Studios, and at Alex Kurtzman and our amazing writers, producers, directors, cast, and crew. Live long and prosper. The wins for Discovery come just one month after winning an Emmy for outstanding special visual effects for the third season episode, Sukal. That's the one I was just talking about. So congratulations to Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard. And uh, Charles, what do you have for us tonight? Prodigy producers talk legacy characters, canon and not dumbing down Trek. Was Prodigy an idea you brought to CBS Paramount Nickelodeon, or were you asked to develop a Star Trek show for kids by them, and Prodigy came out of that? Dan Hagerman. The latter. The secret hideout came to us and said, we would love to we would love to figure out an entire plane for Star Trek universe for a younger audience. And then Kevin and I kind of went away and then we came back and said we'd like to make the show. And they were enthusiastic about it and the rest of it and the rest is on the screen. What was the most difficult thing to adapt from Star Trek for Kids show? Kevin Hagerman. I think the hardest part is balancing of the tone. It's really hard as a writer to get that tone that will hit everyone. The comedy needs to be smart. The storytelling needs to be clever. It's got to work for both kids and adults. And that's always challenging. Is Captain Janeway a hologram that you guys actually consider? Kevin. She's loving, loving but disciplined. She just fits that perfect mentor for a bunch of wayward kids. And are there going to be other appearances of other hologram characters from Star Trek? Seven. <clears throat> let's, just, let's just say yes. There will be other holograms. But I don't want to make it sound like legacy characters who might show up in the show are going to be holograms. Our kids are starting out in the Delta Quadrant, and they're venturing into Federation space. The Federation space of all other shows at that time period. So we might see real characters coming in, coming in, not as holograms. Since the USS ProStar is an NX experimental ship with a cadet training program, are there going to be new surprises for truck fans? Dan, 
though some big secrets about the ship will be explored, and the season revolves around some of those secrets. We've just announced four new characters, including Captain Dakotay, which sounds like a crew of the Starship. Can you say anything more about them, and are they original crew members of the Protostar? Kevin laughed. Nice question. We can't tell you anything except you're wrong on them being former ProStar crew. Dan, we have to keep our details tight on that one. And I'm glad they did. I want to be surprised when Chakotay shows up, just like when other crew members showed up on Lower Decks. Absolutely. I don't want to see it happen. I just want to pop up and say, wait, wait, wait. What'd you just do? Wait a minute. You just showed up? Well, hi, Q. Bye, Q. I just wanted to take a second to interject something here. Um, I don't know if Eric and Charles got a chance yet to watch um, the premiere episode tonight. So um, I don't want to spoil it at all for them if they haven't. But I just want to say that I watched it with Jamie this this afternoon. And I don't – I was extremely impressed. Right off the bat, I, I really enjoyed the soundtrack. I'm really big into music. And I really liked the animation, and it didn't feel like a dumbed-down Star Trek to me at all. No. It didn't come off yeah, as not. SpongeBob in space. Um, it wasn't Looney Tunes. It's not Lower Decks. It's different than Lower no. Decks. It's higher decks. Um, but, <laughs> but I, it's an action. I enjoyed it. It's an action episode. Yeah, this was it, an it, action it, episode. A lot of action, and it it, it it is aimed at children. But I think I I look at it like Shrek. Shrek is for kids, but I love Shrek. I can watch Shrek all day, and this is kind of along those lines. I I do not think that it's a a, a dumbed down kids Star Trek because I think kids are a lot no. smarter than we give them credit for, and I did not find this episode to be dumbed down at all and I really don't want to say more than that because I'm not sure if Eric and Charles had a chance to watch it so that's, well no that's, spoilers but no spoilers but David what did you think about it in general um I was actually very impressed I have to agree with you um it was actually it had a really good beginning let's just put it out that and I actually it actually caught me it dragged me in it uh it made me feel like I was actually in the universe, where you know it was just lots of—I mean, the graphics is really amazing. It really is, and I think you guys will be impressed once you see it. Awesome. I, I will. I you know, I haven't had a chance to see it. I'll probably watch it later on tonight um, because I was prepping for the podcast ahead of time here. But uh, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb, and they were talking about legacy characters, and we've already heard about Chakotay and. Uh, I don't know if people have started speculating about other legacy characters that might show up or not, but here's my hot take. I think the perfect character and and don't hate me because some people hate this character. I personally love this character and I'm not afraid to say it. And I think he would be the perfect fit for Star Trek prodigy. I would love to see Neelix reappear on this show. That to me makes a lot of sense. And I think he's got a personality that is just ripe for a kid's show. 
And yeah, I, I, Neil I, I stay, and Neil stayed in the Delta Quadrant. He did. That's right. Now, um, exactly, I don't know exactly what star date. When exactly this show takes place? Is it? Is, is Janeway 20, already? Yeah, they're home. It's twenty three eighty three. So it's five years after Voyager. Oh yeah, so Neil could still be hanging out there. Oh, yeah, totally, and he would be pretty much his same age and everything, you know. He would just be doing his thing that he was going to do, Mr. Ambassador, to the Delta, to the Alpha Quadrant. Now, <laughs> not, I don't think this is a, a really a spoiler, but um, if you guys had an opportunity to watch The Ready Room, Kevin and, and Dan Hageman were on, and they dropped a, a tremendous hint, and they said, what would Star Trek be without... Dun, 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 the Klingons. And I'll leave it at that. And I was like, oh, my God, we're going to see Klingons. So, um, and I started thinking about it. And I thought to myself, wait, the only Klingons that are in the Delta Quadrant that we're aware of are the ones mm-hmm. that were flying around on that old D7 waiting for Bolana Taurus to bring them the prophecy um, child. And they're still out there. I don't. So they're still out there, unless another Klingon ship ended up there, which they we're not aware of. So they did say, um, drop a strong hint on the ready room that we would be seeing Klingons. So that's pretty cool. Anyway, huh. we're gonna we're gonna talk a lot more about Prodigy next week. So I, I just you know wanted yeah. to drop that in there that if you have not seen it, watch it and give it a chance. It's it's not dumbed down kids Star Trek at all. So. That's all I wanted to say. So, Eric, what what story do you have for us? Well, moving from one animated show right into the next, Mike McMahon reveals spicy details for Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3. That's right. Following the season finale, showrunner Mike McMahon did a few interviews and he dropped a few hints about what's next for the animated comedy. He explained why he chose to end the season with a classic to-be-continued cliffhanger. He said, well... Wage Douge didn't end. The Klingons leave, and they've got a new boss, right? There's obviously things that aren't quite finished with that story, which do not get addressed in Season 3, So, or which do get addressed in Season 3. So I knew I wanted that. Also, we're always trying to find these themes of finality, but also the story's not over. So, so much stuff is wrapped up that it just really feels like the story's not over and I don't want people to wait until next season to know the story's not over. So the promise of the stuff they're going to be seeing in season three is why the end on this. That's a very weird way to explain it, but hopefully you understood what he was saying. <laughs> the season <laughs> finale, I just like, I didn't totally follow that, but yeah, way to go, Mike. Um, he's thinking on another level. And if it wasn't finale, a direct quote, I would have tried to <laughs> to change it to make sense, but it was a direct quote, so I, I just I couldn't really change it. And when I read it ahead of time, I was like, well, it's what he said, so it's what I'm going to say. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, well, we all know the season two finale added a whole new mystery about Rutherford's cybernetic implant, and Mike spoke about where that is going. He said, there's an episode in season three that answers a lot of questions about the implant. A lot of things that Rutherford thought he knew that weren't right. There's a lot of stuff that ties together, like you see the implant malfunctioning a lot in the first and second season. There's something about the implant that hasn't been discovered yet. And remember, this is Rutherford's second implant. He lost his first one at the end of the first season. So it's not only a part of the implant story, but it's about Rutherford himself and why he needs the 
the implant because nobody else has those. There's a reason Rutherford has it. Then they asked, the season finale saw Mariner and Jennifer the Andorian finally bury the hatchet and begin to form a friendship. McMahon revealed that there is more to come between the two. He said, in the third season, Mariner and Jennifer are seeing each other and there are a lot of, and there are stories we tell about that. What I would say is it's not easy to date Mariner, and this show is really not about Mariner's romantic relationships. It's about how she sees herself and how she treats friends and colleagues more than romantic partners. So it was important to me from the point of view of Star Trek, having these people in your life and seeing where these stories go. Mariner's sexuality to me has always been, she seems like the kind of character who can run into a villain and awkwardly Mariner had dated him or her before. There are those kinds of stories I really get excited about. With Mariner, there's these historical sort of things you see with her. So you will see Mariner and Jennifer dating and see how that affects her, but really the tectonic shift that's going into Mariner's arc. So there's confirmation that we have shipped uh, Mariner and Jennifer together. Finally, they said McMahon revealed that things uh, with Shax and Ta'ana are just getting started. That's right. First season, Dr. Ta'ana does say she wants to snag Shax with her coital hooks, <laughs> which is a delightful <laughs> appetizer to the growing sensual meal of their relationship. You see some of it coming in the second season, and I can say third season, you might want to loosen that collar pre-watching the episode. It gets uh, a little spicy. <laughs> Production on the third season of Lower Decks is already underway, but there's no official target for a release date. Jim, I cannot wait to hear the people out there complaining about bestiality if they show any more detail between Shaxx and Ta'ana. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that because I know they're going to there do was it. there was so many people that complained about Star Trek 2009, which we're going to talk about later, um, and that one scene with where right. Kirk is in bed with the two Cations. Yeah, and. Oh, fans went crazy over that. So, you know, it yeah, doesn't take much. It's going <laughs> to happen. It's going to happen. But, uh, but I, I have to tell you that I really, I'll just say that out of this article, I'll just, my favorite part is, of course, the, the Mariner and Jennifer thing. Because remember, Jennifer shows up as a random word way back at the beginning of season one. <laughs> and Mariner starts talking men about how she hates her. <laughs> and two seasons yep. later, here we are. So I just think that's so cool. Yeah, that, it's, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, Charles, you, you've got a flashback story for us. All right. The secret goodbye to fans from Tasha Yard. <clears throat> the story of why Denise, Denise, Denise Crosby left Star Trek The Next Generation is well known to most fans of the franchise. Crosby, who was a granddaughter of the famous singer and actor in the 1940s, Bing Crosby, was unhappy with her role on the show. I wanted to leave the show, Crosby told StarTrek.com in 2004, although it was Gene Ronder's idea to have the character die. He thought it would be shocking. I wanted to leave it, leave as I was struggling with not being able to do much with the character. I had all these ideas and couldn't do them. Even though her departure may have shocked fans, she felt that leaving the show was the right move for her long-term career. It just scared the hell out of me that this was what I was going to be doing for the next X amount of years. 
Crosby said in an interview, I think you have to take your chances. I was really young. I didn't have to make house payments to put kids through private school. Or I was free to make those kind of decisions. The death of Tashiar during the episode of Skin of Evil was featured an oily creature named Artemis, which used an energy bolt to kill Tasha. The director of the episode, Joseph Scanlon, was unhappy with performance on Skin of Evil. Scanlon said that her approach in the funeral scene was imitative, and he was unsure who she was looking as they filmed. What might have been well well known as her departure was a secret goodbye. While Skin of Evil aired on April 25, 1988, the episode before Skin was actually Crosby's last. The Skin was filmed before Symbolist, which aired on April 18, 1998. In the one scene, the final episode, which took place in the Cargo Bay and the Enterprise, Picard lowered the hammer on the arguing races and told them he was withdrawing the technology. Then after the break-ins in Orlando beamed off the Enterprise with supplies of medical drugs, Picard and Dr. Crusher left the cargo bay. Before the cargo bay shut, Crosby leaned over and waved goodbye, presumed to her friends and fellow truckers and crew. Interesting. I remember that. And yeah, it's that funny how everything everything seems to come back to this one episode. Didn't we talk about this episode last week, Symbiosis? Yeah, we've talked about the, this episode many, many times over the years, and I had no idea that there was a little secret goodbye in there. I really want to watch it again now. Yeah, they they that was actually the final episode that Denise Crosby filmed, but they show they you know, because they don't air them in the same time they film them. So that was actually her final episode, and uh, she waved hmm. goodbye to everybody. I, I remember hearing about that at conventions and stuff way back in the day. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, you know, there's a lot there's a lot been said about her. I'll just say that when Star Trek Next Generation first came on, it was so cool that the chief of security was a woman. I just thought that that was like a really neat thing, and I always kind of was a little confused as to what the Klingon was there for. I mean, of course, I'm a huge <laughs> Worf fan, and you know, after Tasha was gone, Worf obviously was just made for tactical. But, but it it definitely, I I just really appreciated the fact that they put her in that role right up front. Yeah, I I always I was I always liked that myself as well. I was very impressed that they put a woman in uh, security. I always I, I had a soft spot for Tasha and. Uh, I was sad to see her go, but happy to see her go because it brought work to life. So anyways, listen, guys, we've got to take another quick commercial break. We have a couple more stories, some pretty good ones to talk about. And then we're going to dive into Star Trek 2009. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Trek talking. All things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. 
And we're back. And uh, I always give, I, I try to give the stories to people that I think will like them. So this next story obviously went to Eric. So excited. This one's all about my fave, Kate Mulgrew, on how Hologram Janeway is fully alive in Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, This is a great interview she did, so this is a question and answer. Question, how much of Captain Janeway's personality will we see with Hologram Janeway, or is she just like educational software? Kate said, to use a good Star Trek expression, she must be fully alive. She must be endowed with vitality, with heart, and with a capacity for great warmth and affection. Also, discernment. She likes some better than she likes others. She responds to some more positively than she does to others and vice versa. So there's nothing clinical about this hologram, nor would it work if there were. It has to be alive. And she's very, very alive. It wouldn't be interesting to me as a voice actor. Why would I do it? It has to be resonant. It has to have all of our human qualities, of course. Oh, my God, I just love reading what she says because it's so eloquent. Uh, They asked, how different will Janeway be on Prodigy, given that she's a hologram? She said, well, she's animated. (laughs) She's a distinct, it's a distinct difference. I'm not real in this one, but all of the characteristics and all of the virtues and some of the flaws are much in evidence. The essential Janeway is there. That's the whole point. That's what's so provocative and what will prove to be so evocative about this Janeway. She embodies what is real, and she's giving this demographic something, though, uh, through, uh, excuse me, giving this demographic something through a genre that is not real. So it's kind of an extraordinary sleight of hand, if you will. Uh, They asked, did you have any input on the animated design of Hologram Janeway? She said, we were in very close collaboration because it's important to me that my physical features be exaggerated in just the right way. It's easy to get that wrong. But these animators did it beautifully so that the eyes are a little enhanced. The face itself is a little shortened, a little square. The mouth is more facile. Children need to respond to the eyes, the mouth, every inch and step of the way from the hair, which you know was diabolically difficult for real Janeway. And these guys, Kevin and Dan Hageman, are just terrific to work with. They also asked, You have done animation voice work before, but what is it like performing a character that you previously played in live action? She said, easy, delightfully and refreshingly easy, which is a wonderful gift after having worked so hard for seven years to create the real Captain Janeway. To have her in my pocket like that and to have her spring out with such alacrity and such vivacity pleases me very much. It's a pleasure. And at this point in time, 26 years later, it should be nothing short of a pleasure. Oh, love that woman. And I cannot wait to watch this episode, you guys. Uh, I'm super excited about it. I meant to watch it before the show, didn't get a chance. But isn't it just wonderful hearing what she has to say about this character in this show? And I'll tell you what, if you want to see and hear more, you got to make sure to watch The Ready Room with Will Wheaton because he interviews her. And she talks a lot about what it was like to bring Janeway back after all these years. And she says holographic Janeway will also be drinking holographic coffee, which I thought was pretty funny. Holographic Nebula, no doubt. uh, It'll be a holographic uh, coffee for a holographic Janeway. So 
As I already said, in honor of Halloween, Charles and I are going to be spinning for you guys the great pumpkin Charlie Brown. But Star Trek also did a little splash into Halloween. They had one, one very special Halloween episode way, way back in the day. It was an episode called Cat's Paw. And it was their attempt at a Halloween special, I guess you might say. Um, and it, it aired on October 27th, way back in 1966. And it has a really strange connection to Gilligan's Island. So this article is entitled The Unexpected Prop Star Trek Borrowed from Gilligan's Island. It's not unusual to hear of old movies or TV shows using recycled footage, props, or costumes. This was the case with two classic TV shows from the 1960s, Star Trek and Gilligan's Island. Given that Star Trek is set in space and Gilligan's Island is set on a desert island, you wouldn't necessarily expect these two shows to share a connection. However, they were both broadcast around the same time. Gilligan's Island ran from 1964 to 1967, while Star Trek ran from 1966 to 1969. Though they were marooned, the shipwrecked shipwrecked characters of Gilligan's Island often found themselves in fantastical scenarios, thanks in part to the show's goofy dream sequences. One such sequence in Season 3 episodes, Lovey's Secret Admirer, involved the titular Lovey, a.k.a. Mrs. Howe, played by Natalie Schaefer, having a Cinderella-like dream. Instead of a fairy godmother, Gilligan himself, Bob Denver, appeared as her fairy godfather. His costume has a distinct design with a yellow and green robe decorated on the chest with what looks like an eye in the middle of a sun. As Silver Age Television notes, the same costume popped up later, on an episode of the second season of Star Trek. The costume was worn by actor Theodore Marcus, who portrayed the alien Korad in the episode Cat's Paw, where Korad makes his entrance. He does so in an appropriate, majestical fashion. Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, and Dr. McCoy effect a daring escape from a dungeon on an alien planet, only to find themselves transported into Korab's throne room in the blink of an eye. And there we meet one of the villains of the episode, wearing the same costume as Gilligan's fairy godfather. Sadly, Marcus has died in a car accident the month after his Star Trek episode aired. However, he and his recycled Gilligan Island costume remain a piece of television history. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool and very appropriate, seeing how Halloween is right around the corner. So there you have it. That's our Star Trek news. And we're about to dive into Star Trek 2009. And uh, just to get you guys in the mood and jog your neurons in your brain, here is the movie trailer for one of the many movie trailers. There was a lot of them. But uh, this was just trailer number one for Star Trek 2009. Maybe. There we go.
name is James Tiberius Kirk. You've always had a hard time finding your place in this world, haven't you? Never knowing your true worth. You can settle for less than ordinary life. Or do you feel like you were meant for something better? Something special? You will always be a child of two worlds and fully capable of deciding your own destiny. The question you face is, which path will you choose? Are you afraid or aren't you? I will not allow you to lecture me. No one you stop me. Prepare to fire all weapons. I like this ship. It's exciting. Space, disease, and danger. Threat, darkness, violence. Buckle up. The wait is over. guys so that's one of the trailers for star trek 2009 our phone number here is 646-668-2433 if you've been waiting to talk about star trek 2009 now is the time to jump right in i'll give you guys a second to dial in while i give you a little brief history on star trek 2009 uh star trek is a 2009 film directed by jj abrams and written by robert orkai and alex kurtzman is the 11th film in the Star Trek franchise and is also a reboot that features the main characters of the original television series portrayed by a new cast. The story takes place in an alternate reality because of time travel by both Nero and the original Spock played by Leonard Nimoy. The alternate timeline was created in an attempt to free the film and the franchise from established continuity constraints while simultaneously preserving original story elements. The idea for a prequel film which would follow the Star Trek characters during their time at Starfleet Academy was discussed by series creator Gene Roddenberry in 1968. Following the critical and commercial failure of Star Trek Nemesis and the cancellation of Star Trek Enterprise after the separation of Viacom and CBS Corporation in 2005, former Paramount Pictures president Gail Berman convinced CBS to allow Paramount to produce a new film in the franchise. Star Trek was heavily promoted the months preceding its release. It was released in the United States and Canada on May 8, 2009 to critical acclaim. The film was a box office success grossing over $385.7 million worldwide against a $150 million production budget. It was nominated for several awards, including four Academy Awards at the 82nd Academy Awards, ultimately winning Best Makeup making it the first Star Trek film to win an Academy Award. Star Trek was acclaimed by film critics on Rotten Tomatoes. It received a 94% approval rating with an average rating of 8.1, the highest scored Star Trek film. With a consensus, Star Trek reignites a classic franchise with action humor, a strong story, and brilliant visuals, and will please traditional Trekkies and new fans alike. Metacritic gave the film an 82 out of 100 based from critic audiences polled by CineScore, which gave the film an average grade of A on an A plus to F scale. 
And I asked our Facebook fans, you guys, to tell us what you thought about Star Trek 2009. I asked you guys on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best, what would you score Star Trek 2009? And Eric, what did our Facebook fans have to say? Well, Susan Spilhalit said, I'm glad my new Trek self wasn't off base. I thought seven, because the movies have to compete with Star Wars in the box office. I love comics, so I'm very into visual effects. So personally, it ranked higher, but not as cerebral as Trek fans want. So I came down. How did I do? <laughs> so it's all <laughs> there from Susan. Uh, top fans. And Susan, were- I just want to say, by the way, Susan, you did great because – it's only your opinion, and there is no right, right, and there is no wrong. So you yeah, did great. Good point, Jim. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, top fan Felipe Ray said, it's at least a seven for bringing the franchise back. And, of course, Leonard Nimoy. Uh, Linda Kawarsini said nine for introducing a new timeline and actors, but they can never surpass the voyage home. Todd Seltz gives it a ten. I can watch that one over and over. Lynn Awilette says 10, a lot of action, and blended with the old series and movies. Bernadette Arena King says 10, loved it. Randy Eller says 5, writing was intentionally bad because he stated at the time J.J. Abrams wanted to kill off Trek. The cast did a superb job with what they had and mixed nuances of the original performance of their characters with what their own take on it. To me, Beyond is the best of the three, but still below how I would rate the movies that have the TOS cast. Claudine Dixon said 10 exclamation point. The actors are all amazing and perfect. I was so worried and skeptical due to the disappointment of remakes, but this was terrific. C.K. Locken says 10, fresh and yet respectful of the original. And Jim Baker says 10 exclamation point. Outstanding casting, great story, awesome special effects. It was a real treat. Highly rewatch, high rewatch value as well. And uh, that gives us, Jim, an average fan score of 8.8, which, uh, you know, overall puts it fourth on our list behind First Contact, Rathacon, and Undiscovered Country, uh, which all have a nine or above rating. But, uh, but that's a pretty good rating from the fans, I think. And, and to answer our one fan's question, it does, it does beat out Voyage Home by one-tenth of a point, according to our fan rating. But right there. real close. It's yeah. like, yeah, it, it's, it's right, right there. So, all right, guys, it's time for us to have some fun and talk about Star Trek 2009. So our phone number here is 646-62433. Uh, give us a call right now, and we'll get you on the air, and we can talk about Star Trek 2009. So... I'll, I'll, I'll start out, of course, unless, um, yeah, I'll start out. So this probably with the exception of the original Star Trek movies, uh, this was the last Star Trek movie that my wife went to see with me in the theater, believe it or not. Um, she just doesn't like TOS. So, and that's her opinion. She's a TNG gal and doesn't really like TOS, but, my daughter was too young at the time and not really interested, so I dragged her off with me. Surprisingly, she enjoyed it. She liked it. And I was like, see, it's not that bad. So I enjoyed it too. And what did I like about it was the fact that the opening sequence, when we, when we see the USS Kelvin, 
and it flies overhead. It was very reminiscent of the Klingon battle cruisers and Star Trek, the motion picture. And right off the bat, it sucked me right in because I realized, you know, uh, how am I going to say this? Um, um, this is not a cheap, chintzy Star Trek with styrofoam rocks and ships on strings. This is high class. This is competing with Star Wars, as one of our previous fans said. And the special effects were just top notch, bar none, incredible. Um, and when, when the Kelvin flies over, I was in love with the Kelvin right away. And sadly enough, it gets destroyed. But that's always the way. Whenever I like something or a character, it's gone. But um, it pulled me right in. I love the design of the ship. I love the look of the ship. I love the little point defense phasers that popped up out of the hull to shoot the, the missiles down, which was a new concept in Star Trek. And that was just so cool. Um, I love the fact that Thor was, the, was Captain Kirk's father and was aboard the ship. Um, seeing Kirk born was awesome. Um, Nero, well, he was a bit touched. He was a crazed Romulan, but uh, he was pretty cool. Something that they didn't touch on in the movie, but they did in the comic adaptation and the novel, uh, the novelization. And we've talked about this in the show before. Our novelizations, because they're written from the original script and based on the movie, are they considered canon or are they not? I, I, I don't, I, I can't answer that. In my mind, they are because they're written from the actual film. But then again, the stuff's not on film. So anyways, one of the points that's made in the novel and also in the comic books is the reason why Nero's ship is so powerful is because it has Borg technology from the future. And why is that relevant? Because at the time of this movie, we didn't know this, but we find out later in Star Trek Picard that the Romulans have access to Borg technology. Nero goes and steals it and brings it to the past. And that's why the Narada is such a huge, powerful ship. And if you pay attention, you might say, geez, those, those beams are all green. They kind of look Borgy. Well, that's because they were. And I don't know why they didn't put that little slight little point in the movie. But at any rate, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I thought that the characters were phenomenal. It's almost like they went out of their way to find actors that could portray the original actors with perfection. And um, I was worried about it being a, a huge Star Trek fan that I am. I was like, oh, my God, are are we going to get somebody running around going, I don't understand what's going on here. And, you know, trying to copy what the, the, the original actors did, we didn't get that at all. And that's what I think makes this movie so good is that each one of the actors that they recast played those characters the way they wanted to play them, but they infused nuances of the characters that we know and love but not to the point where they came off as caricatures or people trying to copy other people as impersonators. It was just the right blend. One of my favorites is Carl Urban as Dr. McCoy. I think he nails it. And uh, as we said on an earlier podcast, when Leonard Nimoy saw, saw the actual scenes, he actually was in tears because he thought that Carl Urban just, just nailed uh, the, the, the character of McCoy and that he thought that, DeForest Kelly 
was almost there, and he, he was brought to tears over that performance. So I think that the, every one of the actors that they got to play them was phenomenal. Um, I, felt, I felt that the, the special effects were, like I said, they were top-notch. Just, just compete with anything in the box office at the time. The soundtrack, phenomenal. My only complaint was the music. I didn't hear the Star Trek fanfare, and I was sitting there watching the movie with my wife, and I'm like, you know, the movie's almost over, and we've yet to hear da-da-da-da-da-da. And then and no sooner did I say that than the credits rolled, and, and there was the song. And um, it was perfectly timed. It was dropped in there at just the right moment. And it went really well with the movie because the characters we meet in this movie are not the characters that we know and love later because they haven't come together and left yet on the Enterprise. So that was cool. Um, I, liked a lot, I liked how they filled in the background stories of a lot of these characters, things that we didn't know were great. And the best part of this movie is the multiverse. And we've talked about this before. This is the beginning of the multiverse. There's more than one Star Trek universe. We've seen this on Discovery. And we saw this with this movie. There's multiple universes. I know most people are only familiar with the mirror universe because that's the one that we focus on the most in Star Trek. But when Stamets is plotting his course through the mycelial network, every one of the clearings that you see in space is a different multiple universe that we can visit. So there's more than one. So this Kelvin universe is just one of those many that Stamets mentioned on Star Trek Discovery. So tying that all together um, was a great idea. Of course, they didn't know that in 2009, but still, now we know that the Kelvin universe is just one of the many that we have in Star Trek. So I love this movie from beginning to end. Um, in fact, what my top three favorite movies, this movie is one of those top three. That's how much I love this movie. For me, it's, it's going to be, and I don't put them in number order, but my top three Star Trek movies are Star Trek First Contact, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Star Trek 2009. I don't include Star Trek V because everyone knows that's my ultimate all-time favorite movie, so that goes without saying. But barring that, it goes Star Trek 2009, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and uh, Star Trek First Contact. So I don't want to take up too much of, of our time um, because we do have other people that we want to hear from. But just suffice it to say, I loved Star Trek 2009. I think J.J. Abrams did a brilliant job. I don't feel that he was trying to kill off Star Trek at all, as one of our, our Facebook fans said. In fact, I think he did just the opposite. I think that Star Trek was maybe in the grave and dying a slow death at that time. Nemesis was a total flop at the box office. Star Trek Enterprise got canceled in its fourth season and Star Trek wasn't in a good place until JJ Abrams came along and said, look, I can make money. I can make you money with Star Trek. And that's something Star Trek fans don't like to hear, but Star Trek is a business and businesses are here to make money. So the fact that Star Trek 2009 filled movie theaters and made them money, that's why we have all this great Star Trek. And that's why we have Paramount plus streaming new Star Trek every Thursday night. So I think that we have J.J. Abrams and Star Trek 2009 to thank for that. That's my take on it. And, oh, my God, we have to take our final commercial break of the evening, guys. So our phone number here is 646-668-2433. 
We still have a lot of show left. We still have to hear from Eric. We still have to hear from David. We still have to hear from Charles. And we have a caller on the line. We have two callers on the line. No, we have one caller on the line. Yeah, we have one caller on the line. And we're going to hear from that caller. So quick, run to the microwave, grab your pizza bites, grab your egg rolls, grab your chicken wings, but don't touch that dial because we're going to talk about Star Trek 2009 as soon as we come back. And um, this is a reminder, we're going to be talking about the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown on Halloween night. We're going to be giving away for Trick or Treat a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 3 on DVD for you. All you have to do is call 646-668-2433 on Halloween night between 7.30 and 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The first caller that calls will win a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 3 on DVD. So just as a reminder, for our final break, I'm going to play one more time for you guys the original commercial for It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. I got an invitation to our Halloween party. talking Star Trek 2009 and uh, who wants to jump in Eric you, you got something you want to say about this movie oh I got stuff to say about this movie uh, I'll just say thank you Vince Guaraldi for all the great soundtracks that you put together for Charlie Brown throughout the years uh, but yes Star Trek 2009 um, Jim I it had I'm gonna admit it had been a little while since I had seen this movie and I rewatched it and I I have to tell you, I think I agree with you. Um, it's a fantastic movie. I think that at the time that it came out, there was a lot of trepidation uh, about it, obviously, because it remakes kind of what we know as the Star Trek universe in a lot of different ways. Obviously, new timeline, uh, new characters, uh, new generation, the ship looks different. Uh, you know, everything that we ever knew about Star Trek was kind of thrown out the window in some ways uh, when this movie came out. But um, if you look at it in a vacuum, first of all, at not being a Star Trek fan, it's just a really solid action film. Like there's there's tons of great scenes. Uh, I, I think if if you were to talk about what makes uh, a really great movie, it's probably a combination of like acting, directing, writing, cinematography, um, and just like the overall production value of the thing. And I feel like this movie kind of hits all five of those. Um, the acting is great. You mentioned Carl Urban in particular. I agree. I think his character is great. Um, I also think um, that, well, I, the, here's what I'll say. Rather than just saying all the great ones, here are the ones that I think they could have done just a little bit better with. Um, Sulu doesn't quite get featured as much as I would like him to have been in this movie. It's okay because if you watch the future movies, he gets his um, just come up and sort of uh, along the way. In this movie, he's portrayed as a little bit weak. He has to kind of be saved a couple times by Kirk. He has one cool moment where he brings out the the cool like unfolding sword when they're on the drilling drilling platform, and he finally gets to go to town on some Romulans. But generally speaking, I don't really care for the way that they portray Sulu. Um, 
like the fact that the very first time they show him, he can't even make it out of space dock because he forgets to release the magnetic clamps or whatever. Come on. The greatest helmsman uh, in the Federation would never do that. So, uh, <laughs> but all the other characters I really, really like. Chekhov, uh, of course, is amazing. Miss that actor so much. Um, it's too bad that, he, that he's gone. But let's hit a few specifics. Um, so let's talk about Jim Kirk. So we see a different Jim Kirk in this movie. We see a different Jim Kirk because his father is dead. And, you know, in the prime timeline, his father inspires him to join Starfleet and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, Chris Pine does a great job of kind of taking the idea of Kirk, but make, but putting that chip on his shoulder and making it really, really big. Like he's just got a giant chip on his shoulder. And, of course, eventually he kind of comes around and realizes what his, quote, destiny is. But um, I like that kind of play of taking a character that we all know and love and kind of twisting it just a little bit based on what his background is. Like, how does nature affect the character? Um, even how does nurture? I mean, he gets yelled at at the beginning of the movie for stealing the car uh, by presumably his mom's, like, boyfriend or something at the time. So we know that his mom goes on to marry some or, or be with some Yahoo who owns an old Corvette um, <laughs> that Kirk steals. And, that and, and Eric, I want to mention something at this point. That scene is filmed in Vermont, which is oh, so yeah. cool. Is it really? That that scene where he drives the car off the cliff is filmed at a, at a stone quarry up here in Vermont. And, and one of these days I'm going to get up there and, and actually visit it. But where he, when Kirk drives that car off the quarry and it crashes, that's filmed right here in Vermont, which is pretty cool. Well, that was really cool, and, you know, people get all up in arms about the BC Boys song being played during that scene, but I have to tell you, I mean, here he is driving a 63, I think it was a 63, maybe 67, no, 63 probably, I don't know, somebody out there who knows more about Corvettes than me, tell me what year it was, but um, but an old Corvette, he plays some, like, 90s, early 2000s Beastie Boys. It's all retro. That was the perfect time to me to actually play a contemporary song in a Star Trek movie, so I didn't mind that, whereas a lot of people did. Um, there's a lot of great mirroring that kind of happens throughout this movie. Obviously, they're always trying to mirror certain characters against their prime timeline selves, um, uh, you know, very deliberately and obviously with the Spocks, of course, but like just showing the ways in which each of them uh, would have been a little bit different. And then the scenes kind of mirror themselves. Like at the beginning, there's the scene where they're first going off to Starfleet and, uh, you know, Bones doesn't want to fly and he's talking about how he's going to throw up on Kirk. And then later in the movie, after he drugs Kirk to get him on the Enterprise, um, Kirk's telling him that he's going to throw up on him. So there's just like lots of little scenes like that where they kind of double up something in the movie that you saw before, which is also great because it kind of breeds this idea of nostalgia, which I think is something that Star Trek survives on. And they, they in 2009, they kind of recognized that and they said, you know what, we need to put these little things in here to like make people kind of have an emotional connection to what's going on on the screen. Um, love that screen. And don't forget, yeah, we find out why he calls McCoy Bones. He does, because when his wife left him, he had nothing else left but his bones, which I just yep. think is a great story. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> um, okay, there's three dialects of Romulan, apparently. Uhura knows all of them. Bam, of course. 
Um, there are some things that I wonder about in this movie, like, okay, the jellyfish can actually shoot down the drill as it's attacking Earth and kill it right away. Where the heck was the, like, Federation fleet? Why couldn't somebody just send an F-16 up there and, like, shoot down the drill? I don't know. That seems a little bit weak to me. Um, but uh, there are other great moments. Uh, let's see. Sound. Okay. In the theater, I remember seeing this movie, and there are several moments where the sound... I think just blew my mind. And I think if you watch this movie and you can crank up your speakers or put on your headphones and actually like listen to it through a decent, decent sound system, there are some parts of this movie that will blow your mind. Two that come to mind really quickly are the silence that is achieved in the soundtrack when they're actually diving down to the drilling platform, right? They're diving through the atmosphere. And for a while there, there's just complete silence on the screen. And you're just like, whoa, that's so cool. Um, I I really like that. I have currently forgotten what the second one is, but it's towards the end of the movie, and I want to make sure I leave time for these other guys, so I don't want to uh, try and figure out where I was on that. Here's what I'll say, too. Also, uh, in terms of portrayals, great lines, like Bones saying, damn it, man, I'm a doctor, not a physicist. <laughs> um, <laughs> would Spock really maroon Kirk? on Delta Vega, like just toss him down to a planet where somehow he magically discovers Spock Prime. I don't know. That part was a little like, uh, we're just going to write this into the plot and hope nobody notices that it's very, very convenient. Um, I love the line where um, Kirk is talking to Spock Prime and he talks to him and he says, you know, coming back in time and changing history, that's cheating. And Spock Prime says, "Uh, a trick I learned from an old friend. I just think that's yep. so sweet. So, so sweet. Um, you know, they warp into the Titan's atmosphere. Um, the jellyfish takes out the drill. Um, why does a tiny, tiny bit of red matter explode an entire planet, but an entire ship full of red matter takes a really long time to destroy the Narada? I don't know. Okay. Plot holes notwithstanding, I give this movie a full-on nine because it is it is a absolute bomber right from the beginning the characters are great the acting's great the writing's great you have to be on board with the kind of a little bit of a reinvention of star trek that happens but it it has the star trek ideals and i want to give charles and david a chance to talk about that and much more so who wants to go next what do you think david Uh, you want to jump in sure yeah um i totally agree with a lot of whatever you guys were saying because i actually like this movie a lot myself and uh, one of the uh, other points that um i think needs to be mentioned when uh, eric was talking about silence was when the crew of the enterprise got sucked out into space and oh, yeah. it was just like complete silence and it was just like yep. that's really literally the only science fiction movie i've ever seen that has done something that drastic to a lot of noise and all of a sudden it just you just see everybody just like flying out into space <laughs> to me that it, was my selling point to the point where i was just like okay i'm stuck on this movie <laughs> it's such an emotional like reaction right because you real like we're all like let's be honest we're all nerds who watch this stuff and we understand that sound does not travel through space and so when a movie like actually takes that into account and just you know <laughs> sort of yeah. people out and there's no sign there's no sound it's it's dramatic yeah and well, i actually I wanted, like that oh god I, I wanted to add in something 
along those lines that you're saying, David, and that is that in Star Trek 2009, I think they did something that Gene Roddenberry did in Star Trek The Motion Picture, but something that was forgotten after that. And that is in Star Trek 2009 and Star Trek The Motion Picture, the Enterprise is huge. Yeah. I mean, when Kirk lands on the, in the landing bay on the Enterprise, it's gigantic. When you look at Star Trek, the motion yeah. picture, the shuttle bay is, I don't know, 10 Three decks. Three shuttles wide? It's huge. I mean, it's big. Um, and and yeah. when he calls, he calls for a meeting and calls the whole crew down to the rec hall, it's, it's, it's big. And then, yeah. we, and this is, this is not a knock, but this is, just, this is just production values trying to save money. But then along comes TNG. And then they start borrowing the sets from the TV show. And now all of a sudden, the engine room is Jordy standing at a console with a blue pulsing light behind him. And that's the whole engine room. And the shuttle bay is a couple of, of shuttles parked in a two-car garage. And that's what everybody looks at and sees as the Enterprise. Come along 2009 Star Trek. Man, the shuttle bay, again, is gigantic the way it should be. Yeah. And yeah, the engine room, something that people complain about endlessly. Oh, it was just a brewery. Well, unless unless they told you that it was a brewery, you wouldn't know that that was a brewery. And the fact that the Enterprise engine room was like like not a room anymore, but like like a huge part of the ship a with cavern. water yeah. reclamation systems and walkways and, and uh, warp core. I mean – all it kinds seems more of like stuff. a submarine than anything, almost. It's, yeah, I mean, I think, there's stuff yeah. everywhere. It's just not a blue pulsing light in the middle, but it's got <laughs> stuff all over the place. And when Kirk is running yeah. through the through the engine room, there's stuff. It's just not one hallway <laughs> with a console and a blue pulsing light. And I'm not. I'm. I, they do that because of the budget for the TV show. But a lot of fans complain that. You know, it just wasn't realistic. They couldn't get into it because it was just looked like a brewery. I don't know about you. I've well, never been in a brewery, so I don't know what a brewery looks like. I know that they used a brewery to film those scenes because they said so, but, God, I loved them. I loved <laughs> yeah. seeing the Enterprise be a big, sprawling, massive starship the way it should be. So it, I just want to throw that in there. If you dive into the nitty-gritty of it, Jim, it's just because they do a lot of things like stop the actors while they're running right next to a column. And when you look at the column, it's obviously not a starship column. It's, like, made of this old iron and has these, like, old crossing, like, structural elements that kind of go up with them. So I think that's what people right. complain about is, like, I don't know, couldn't they have wrapped that in some tinfoil or something? <laughs> <laughs> yep. But overall, I actually did enjoy the characters. Uh, I actually thought they did a really good job picking out Spock, for instance. I think out of all the characters, I, I relate to Spock more as being the closer to the original than all the others combined. Because just listening to some of the interviews that uh, Leonard Nimoy and um, I forgot his name now, but the guy who played Spock. <laughs> Zachary Quinto, um, yeah. Yeah, um, he, they, they actually looked quite alike to each other, just standing next to each other. It was just really interesting to see how they were able to get him in to play the role. And me being a Star Trek fan, I I, I don't know about you guys, but I get kind of irritated when um, 
they bring in someone else to play the role of, like, for instance, um, I don't know what they're going to be doing now, if they're going to be creating a new TV show or a new movie with these characters, because somehow, as tragic as it is, we lost Chekhov. And I don't know if they're going to be bringing someone else to replace him or anything, but I, it bothers me sometimes when it comes to a point where someone else is playing that role that we already knew and loved as a person, you know, it was just, I just hope they don't misplace that character because for me, I'm just glad that they brought the original Spock into the film and that to me made my day. It was like, you know, yeah. I hope they don't replace anybody, but, you know, if they have to, oh well, but it's just, yeah, it's just my opinion, I guess, but, yeah. <laughs> well, David, they do have they do have an automatic written in out and a way to explain Chekhov that is completely, totally, totally believable, totally feasible, and actually already there, and that is, where does Chekhov end up in the next movie? He's on the USS Reliance. So all they have to do is just have a line or a mention or something uh, congratulating Chekhov on his promotion uh, to the USS Reliant, and we all know where he ends up after that. So that's, that's an easy, convenient, and, and in-universe way to explain why Chekhov isn't there. And I, I don't think a single fan would, would be upset or complain about that, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. You, Overall, I, I actually like the movie. Um, but out of all of you guys, pick one character that you like the best out of this movie that relates to the original. Wow. Well, yeah. how about you, Charles? Charles, who's your favorite character in this movie? I'm probably going to say the character that's the most complex. Well, it's changed, but the more complex. Is Spock. Actually, Quinto's Spock is a lot more cold but emotional. I, I can see that. I can see that. How about you, Eric? Yeah, that's a hard one. I can definitely see Spock as a, a great answer to this question because they give him – here's what I'll say. They give Kirk a better reason for being a different character than they give Spock because Spock essentially has the same – arc uh, as prime Spock up until um, Amanda dies. So, uh, but I think my overall favorite is probably Carl Urban's McCoy. I just, he's so good. He's so good. And he's just so salty and he's a minor character in this, but I just really dig him. Well, (laughs) I, I do love Carl Urban. I did get a chance to meet him at Trek Conderoga and shake his hand and he's awesome. And I love him and what he's done with, with the character, but I'm going to, I'm going to, surprise you guys and say something totally different. I think that Zoe Zeldana's version of Ahura is probably would steal the show for me. And the reason why is because as awesome as Nichelle Nichols is, and she, she's a legend, her character really never said much more than hailing frequencies open, get in the closet, fly boy, you know, she didn't really, uh, they didn't, she danced with the fans in Star Trek five, um, she, she, they really didn't expand upon her character. However, in the JJ universe, Ahura, they show her as a very intelligent, very intellectual, very smart character. And she's also very feminine. She has, she has an affair with Spock. So 
I really like that they gave Ahura. Well, I, well, I mean, she's yeah, she's involved with with Spock, yeah. right? And if Ahura is like having a relationship with somebody else, then she's going with Spock. Well, I, well, yeah, you know what I mean. She, she, she's no, no, um, no. right. <laughs> But and, do, you, um, do you think they really they really take her character and they expand it in the next two movies though? In this particular like, don't look ahead. In this particular movie, essentially she's a support character for Spock. That's about it. Like she doesn't really do a lot in this movie. Well, no, but she. Well, she does she, in the other ones, I know, but in the other well, ones, well, I, she's a huge character. Yeah. Yeah, she she speaks. She's the one that is able to speak Romulan that, that no one else can. She unravels the the lightning bolt mystery, which is what solves the whole thing. And and you know the character of Ahura is actually very important, even though she's in the background. And I think they that they wrote her. I think that Michelle Nichols would be proud of what they did with that character versus what she was in the original movies. So I I would go with with Zoe Zeldana's Ahura. Hmm. Myself. Nice. But I love Carl Urban. And Charles, I guess uh, that leaves you with the caboose here. All right. I thought you said we had a caller, but I guess you lost them. Uh, oh, wait, no. A wait a minute. Ago. Our caller is oh, back. No. Yes. Let me see. Let me see if I can get this thing to work here. Let me see. Hello, thank you for calling Trick Talk, and what's your name, and where are you calling us from tonight? Nate, I Nate from Vegas. I, you know, I've got to put Nate from Vegas on my board so that when Nate from you Vegas do. calls, I already know. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I, you know, I look at the number, like, that number looks familiar. It, it kind of looks like Charles, yeah. but it, that's not Charles. <laughs> so, Nate, what's on your mind? Talk to us, buddy. Well, um, I love this movie. It's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, it's actually the only one of the three I actually have on DVD. I never got around to buying the other ones. Um, you guys were just talking about your favorites. Uh, I love Pike in this one. He, yeah. he was oh, amazing. He was um, the other thing I wanted to, since you guys just watched it, um, I always remembered and obviously I could be remembering wrong, that due to the fact that the Narada blew up the Kelvin in 2233, uh, that I thought there was a line said by somebody, maybe Pike, maybe somebody else, that things were sped up on uh, arming, getting the, the Federation armed up. Um, was that said, uh, or am I just misremembering that? Nope, not said in the movie, not to my okay. knowledge. Because yeah. the reason why I, I was wondering this is because according to Memory Alpha, the Enterprise was christened in 2258, which is obviously later than it was in the prime timeline. So mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of – I thought it was a contradictory uh, because I thought I remembered them saying everything was sped up. So – well, I'm glad it's not, but I thought it was interesting still that it is later than the Enterprise of the Prime Timeline. What and you I might argue, be referring to oh, yeah, is sorry. the fact that the Enterprise was launched ahead of schedule due to the to the emergency with the Romulans, so they, the ship wasn't due to be christened until it got back. 
And Pike makes has okay. made some comment how they're going to have a big christening party when they return, and of course they don't. Well, they kind of don't. So the Enterprise was launched ahead of when it was supposed to, so it actually wasn't officially christened or launched at the time of this movie. So that might be uh, well, where yeah. the confusion is. Yeah. Again, Memory Alpha says 2258 for the for this version of the Enterprise instead of 2245 in the prime timeline. So obviously it's a lot later than in the prime timeline. And a significantly different ship, a much larger ship, totally different technology. Um, so yeah, whatever differences happen in this timeline, it threw the whole timeline off. Yep. And there was a lot of really cool starships that we get to see in this movie that we've never seen before or again, which was pretty, which, you know, pretty neat docked around yeah, Starbase. Yeah, I'm with you, a- Jim, on the Kelvin, too. The Kelvin is one of my favorite ships ever from uh, any of these uh, Star Trek shows. I just love I have the, look the Christmas tree ornament of the Kelvin, actually, <laughs> the Hallmark Christmas tree ornament. I liked it so much. I went out and bought the Christmas ornament. So that's pretty cool. So, so Charles, we 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 keep you still got the caboose, buddy. <laughs> well, it's been a couple of years since I've seen the episode, seen the movie, and there was one real strong benefit for this movie, <clears throat> and that was the fact that it brought a new audience. We had a brand new audience. Jim talked about his daughter seeing the second movie. And they're saying, oh, this is tied into another series? Yes, that brought in a new group of fans who got to see their Star Trek. And many of them turned around and like, okay, well, let me see Dad's Star Trek. And many of those fans became fans of the 50 years of Star Trek. So I think it was a good series to really, it was a good timing to bring the series back to the movie. Of course, everybody remembers, forget the fact that we have the standard red shirt joke in the movie. Because I remember as the, they went for the, the trying to parachute onto the mining ship. Two got on, one fell through and got lost. Wilson didn't make it. <laughs> yeah, he didn't make it. <laughs> no. Nope. But it was definitely I <clears throat> I remember seeing with friends and I think we got into a movie theater late and I think we got stuck almost in the front row. But just sitting there looking at this big screen of this new Star Trek series coming out. And we were raving, walking out. It's like, wow, what a great new version of Star Trek. I'll say about an 8.5 on this one. I think it was a good start to try bringing Star Trek back. Yeah, I I think I I agree. I'm I'm kind of I'm like I'm right up there with Eric. I'm I'll go with a nine on this one. 9.3. I really enjoyed it. Um, and like you said, it brought new it brought a new audience in, and I think that's something that Prodigy is on the cusp of doing. And anytime yeah. we can get people interested in Star Trek, 
that's always great and something that people need to remember is regardless of what Star Trek does in the future, it never changes what it has done in the past. So, you know, you can like any part of Star Trek that you want and that's great. But when new people come in, they're going to, they're going to discover the old Star Trek and we have to give them the opportunity to make those discoveries on their own, you know, and that's one of the great things about Star Trek. So believe it or not, guys, we are just about out of time. So um, I hope you guys enjoyed the show tonight. And I just want to remind you one last time before we say goodnight, please join Charles and myself on Halloween night at Sunday, 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Same time you're listening to us now, only on Sunday. We're going to be playing for you guys in its entirety, the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. And the first person to call us on Halloween night at 646-668-2433 and say Trick or Treat will win a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 3 on DVD. So it's that simple. Spend Halloween night with us and win a copy of Star Trek Discovery 3 on DVD. So I want to take this opportunity to say thank you so, so, so much to um, Eric for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Eric, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you all. And thank you so much for David for hanging out and Trek talking with us too. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for taking call. Thanks. I actually wanted to add one thing if we have a little bit of time because I, I just oh, yeah. remembered something. We always um, have time for you. Did guys. anybody see any deleted scenes from the 2009 Star Trek movie? Yes, there's there's quite a few of them, actually. I think there's five or six at least anyways. And there's a copy floating around somewhere out there on the Internet that where some fan went and put those deleted scenes back in, which is pretty cool. Oh, uh, wow, interesting. Yeah, yep. I was just curious. Um, I'd also like to say thank you to Nate for hanging out and truck talking with us tonight. Thank you so much, Nate. As always. You're welcome. And, of course, last but not least, thank you so much to our very own Charles for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Charles. Always a blast talking Trek. Always fun, isn't it? The time flies right by. I want to let you guys know that next week we're going to be talking about Prodigy, which is on tonight right now. So please go and watch that episode. Next week we'll be talking about it. So get your notes ready and plan on spending next Thursday night with us as we talk about Prodigy. What was the name of that? Hope, hope Not Lost, I think, was the name of the episode. I don't remember. Hope, and, hope Not I Lost, like that. part one and two. Yeah, Hope Not Lost. We'll be talking about that next Thursday night, and we'd love to hear what you thought about it. I didn't want to give out any spoilers for it for anyone who has not seen it, but um, it, was, it was fun. I enjoyed it, and we'll talk more about it next Thursday night. So I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. I want to say to everybody, please stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Good night. Let's see what's out there. Engage. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 